If you enjoy podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Hopeful Hints, hosted by Dr. Tara, guides and supports those on the often challenging and isolating journey of women's health concerns and infertility. There's a particularly powerful episode that you should check out called All Things Endometriosis, which dives deep into understanding the condition to help the many women who suffer from endometriosis and have no idea they have it, and healthcare providers who are uneducated about it, making the diagnosis process so difficult. Check out Hopeful Hints on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome back to Better with Dr. Erica. This is your host, Dr. Erica. I'm a double board certified Harvard trained psychiatrist, speaker, and author, but I'm not your psychiatrist. Well, unless you're paying me. So this is for educational purposes only, okay? Well, guess what? We made it to season two. Woo! I'm so excited to have this guest open the season. My phenomenal guest is another one of my super friends, Dr. Delicia Haynes. She is a board-certified family physician, international speaker, and coach. She is also the author of The Dawn, a med student's roadmap to finding a light in their darkest hour. I had to mention it now because I just love the title that much. You may be wondering what we're actually discussing this episode, right? In this episode, we have a conversation about why it is important to make your mental health a priority and how to actually do it. Yes, we are going to give you some actual strategies. This comes right on time because this pandemic has been pulling you in so many different directions that you are becoming even more aware of how important your mental health is to your overall health. Guess what? This episode will answer, what is the impact of lack of business training for doctors? Why do doctors say that all of this money for medical bills and insurance does not come to them? How can you change your career to protect and support your mental health? How can you fulfill your calling while still taking care of yourself? Why is it important to show up for yourself? What is white coat safe space? Is it possible not to be defined by mental health challenges? And lastly, what are strategies to protect your mental health? You're going to want to stay on until the last moment to catch all of this knowledge about practical ways to improve your mental health and have your career be something that feeds you instead of bleeding you dry. Yes, I said it. I've been there. The bonus with this discussion is that you also get a better understanding of the healthcare system itself, which helps you be an even better advocate for your own health. I could talk on and on because I'm just so excited for you to hear this episode. But let me just be quiet and get out of the way and let the episode speak for itself. So guess what? Here it is. Better with Dr. Erica. Welcome to Better with Dr. Erica. I am your host, Harvard-trained double board certified psychiatrist and integrative lifestyle coach. I am so excited to bring my over 20 years of experience to you in this podcast. And today I have something super, super special for you. I know I say I have special people. I guess I just know really special folks. But today I have someone great who you are going to be so excited to hear. So you're going to want to stay on until the very last moment. Today I have Dr. Delicia Haynes. You might be like, who is Dr. Delicia? Well, I'm about to tell you, and then I'm going to let her tell you more because I have realized I don't do anybody's bios justice. That's why I don't read bios. So I can recognize reading bios just doesn't sound sexy to me. So beyond the fact that Dr. Delicia is brilliant and just a great human being, she's a family physician and a trailblazer, especially in the world of direct primary care. If you don't know what direct primary care is, you're going to learn about it today too, among a bunch of other things. And she is such an innovator in that field and continues to work to not only provide 
phenomenal care to her patients, but also to assist people on how to build direct primary care practices to be able to provide those services to others. So she doesn't hold all of the knowledge to herself. So, I mean, I feel like I got to give her a round of applause just for the fact that she's willing to share all of these things she's learned, which then trickles down and helps so many people more than she could help one at a time get excellent health care. And at the end of the day, one of the huge things for everybody listening is we all want to have better health. We all want to be our best self, which includes having good mental health and physical health. And she's she's great. That's all I could say. I don't know why I keep saying she's great. Like I didn't just say she's great, but I guess I just really mean she's great. So without further ado, since I said I'm reading bios just is so dry to me, I'm going to let her tell you more about herself. So Dr. Delicia, can you tell the people a little bit more about yourself? Absolutely. And first of all, thank you for having me. Uh, butterflies of a feather fly, you know, fly together. <laughs> so I'm happy to be here. Uh, so I'm, I'm Dr. Delicia Haynes. I'm the founder and CEO of Family First Health Center, which is a direct primary care practice down here in Daytona that I started right out of residency. Uh, so, you know, right out of training with zero medical or business background, um, grew it and really built my own prison and uh, unintentionally. And then I transitioned to direct primary care. Um, once I figured that out, of course, I had to help other people do the same. So I started um, direct primary care prescription for success, where I teach other doctors how to, you know, transition to direct primary care. And I, um, I also uh, started White Coat Safe Space, which is also in the physician wellness space, just really helping doctors love the life that they live. Um, wrote a book and uh, the dawn of a med student's roadmap to finding a light in their darkest hour. And then currently I'm creating what I need, which is a planner. Uh, to try and keep, you know, all these balls in the air kind of, you know, going together. So uh, the Daybreakers Inspirational Planning Journal will be out later this week or this year, not this week. You didn't tell me you had all of the excitement going. <laughs> I mean, I, I feel like I'm getting to break the story about a super cool planner that I didn't even realize was about to be breaking. So you know, who can I, what can I say other than that? That is so cool. I'm so excited about, about you having this planner, but also all other things you do, because I realize I get so excited. You do so much that I didn't initially mention white coat safe space, even though it was in my head, it was in my head. So what I'd like to do is a lot of times we start out, you'd did a great job of letting the listeners out there know a little bit more about yourself. But I want them to get to know you a little bit in a little bit more relaxed setting. So I'm going to ask a couple of this or that questions, if that's okay. Okay, I'm ready. You ready? Mm -hmm. So the first one is burger or kale? Kale. Finally! <laughs> you all can't see me how excited. No one I have ever says kale, and I love kale. I love so kale. Finally have someone that says kale. Mm -hmm. I'm doing a happy dance. You can't see it, though. The next one is beach or mountains. Gosh, it so depends on the mood. Um, I'm going to go with beach. I can believe that. You're in Florida. It could happen. <laughs> I live in it Daytona could, Beach, right? You know, it could happen. Florida, I'm, I'm not mad at that. Not mad at that at all. The next I would say is running or biking. I have to say running, but it's it's sprinting. I only sprint. Hey, I'm an equal opportunity <laughs> listener to running because I'm not an e equal opportunity runner. I, I don't I don't want to run. <laughs> I, I, I don't enjoy it. I run so, really fast and I stop. <laughs> yes, so that's one of the reasons I like to whew, I'm not a runner, but I bless you. The next thing is laundry or dishes. Uh, uh laundry. It's okay. You don't yeah. have to sound sad and I have had a few guests that sounded like they really just wanted to say neither. Right, right. Can I pay someone? Yes. 
So, you know, there's no shame. I, I admit, I don't think I've ever admitted this on the show. I actually have almost like a laundry addiction. Doing laundry makes me happy. I love doing laundry. I do laundry wow. multiple times a week. I wish I had that, but no. I think I got it from my aunt. <laughs> we, we both have the same problem. And the last one is Mac or PC. I'm using a PC. Yeah. Now, do you love it? I don't love it. I, you know, I, and I have some, some Apple products, so I might as well just kind of like do the entire suite. But Come my, to the dark side. my electronic health record right now, I think only doesn't run on Apple yet. Um, or it didn't the last time I checked. So Come <laughs> it may happen. It may happen. The people out there can't see what I'm doing with my hands. Right. Yeah. Her fingers are really kind of like moving in this. I like- know. I, I feel like my fingers look like I'm, I'm like a lost Disney villain. Yes, indeed. <laughs> like if Maleficent had a black sister with short hair. I'd mm-hmm. be like, <laughs> but I guess we will go ahead and come back to the to the topic at hand. So I, I know one of the things you talked about, which totally intrigues me, is you mentioned that you you got out of residency, you built a practice, and you built your own prison. Can you tell people about that? Because I know a lot of folks out there, especially people that are not are not physicians. Everyone glorifies it because I know that's one of the first questions I always get asked. Do you have your own practice? And I think people um, just due to maybe how it is on TV or movies have this glorified perception of what having a medical practice is. So can you tell them how it was a prison? Absolutely. And and, I, and it's one of those things that uh, it's really, it took me by surprise. I knew I started my own practice because I had a strong vision for how I wanted to practice medicine. And I thought I'd be able to do that. And what I found over the years was more and more the insurance companies were dictating what I could do, how many patients mm-hmm. I could, you know, I needed to see to, you know, keep the lights on, be able to pay my staff a respectable salary, you know, all of those things. And so from the outside, I looked fine, you know, uh, and my family was kind of like, you make six figures. Like, why, why are you complaining? Uh, So, but I really, I was there. I was the doctor by day. Then I was the business owner by night. I really didn't have much of a life outside of my practice. Mm. And most importantly, I didn't have time to do all the self-care things that I needed to do to maintain my own mental health. Uh, so, um, it really just became this, I was serving other people and I was mm-hmm. just serving them from an empty cup and you know, you can only do that for so long. Oh, definitely. I mean, and nobody wants to serve from an empty cup. I actually talk to my patients and clients all the time about, it's like driving eternally on a car on E. Yeah. <laughs> And I think the thing that a lot of us that are not just physicians, but people in the wellness space is that you look at the fact that when your lifestyle is one of give, 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 it affects your health. And for a lot of people, ironically, in the midst of feeling like people are giving and serving, that they're actually taking years off their own life. Yes. And and then all these people that you were giving and serving to you won't be able to give and serve to because you will either be broken down physically or you might die. Mm -hmm. So thanks for not dying. Yes. (laughs) My pleasure. My pleasure. I know, but you bring out such a good point, which is it's a lot of that stuff. It's your, you go through med school. I don't know about your med school. I know my med school didn't teach a single business class. Which is interesting that by the time you make it through med school and go through residency, I know when I was training, almost everyone I knew, when people came in to tell you what was life going to be like after you finished med school and residency, it was kind of two things. It was like either you're going to have your own practice or you're going to be in academics. Was that your experience? Is that kind of what was shown to you too? Because I know for a lot of us, that's kind of what people presented is what the options were. And naturally we really weren't prepared to be business owners. 
Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I look at my sister who is a chiropractor and, and uh, she had a lot more business training in her program than we ever did. And uh, the only thing we learned how to do was code. Uh, so I knew how to select the proper level of service, but I didn't know, you know, once you submit the code, you know, we submit it, you know, how do you have to follow up to make sure that it actually gets paid? You know, how do you have to check beforehand, you know, what the patient is, their allowables, all those things. So I think the first year that I was in practice, when I started, I was taking insurance before I switched over to direct primary care. And so much of that was like true volunteerism that I didn't mean to do. Uh, because of the insurance situation. And it was really my cash pay patients who saved me in terms of, you know, they actually came in and, and, you know, paid cash at the visit. So I was able to pay staff and pay lights and all of that while I was waiting for insurance companies to actually kind of, you know, finally pay. Uh, so just there's there was really no business training. And there also wasn't any kind of like business life integration training. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, there is just, you know, we I learned patient care. Uh, which is really valuable, and but that was the really the only thing that we were exposed to. I, you are speaking to my soul because I also at one point I was a private practice hospitalist, and for all you all out here, that means that I worked in a hospital, but I got paid like a private practice. Um, and talking about it being altruism, I gave away over $200,000 worth of services in eight months that I never got paid for. Oh, ouch. <laughs> I, I know, but one of the reasons I think this is important, even if you aren't a doctor listening to this, is the first thing is understanding why sometimes you may talk to your doctor, your friends that are doctors, And they may get slightly emotional when a lot of folks have this perception that doctors are making all of this money because they're getting all of these bills and all they're paying for all this insurance and all these things. And the first thing is I just want people to start getting more education or be understanding more about the fact that a lot of these costs that people are getting, this money is not making it to us. Right. Right. (laughs) You know, a lot of times you're, your doctor isn't seeing all of this money. You may have gotten a big hospital bill or you're paying for all of this insurance. We aren't seeing most of that money. You know, I can even speak to my personal experience where I'd have people I saw entire hospital stays and I get checks for $0, $4 and $12 from the insurance company for an entire stay. And I think sometimes people wonder, well, why is the doctor scheduling so many people? And part of the reason doctors will schedule so many people is especially when you take insurance, there are some people that seeing them actually cost you money <laughs> that you're not going to get reimbursed enough from the insurance to pay for all of the overhead and everything going on. So it ends up a situation where someone has to either charge more money or see more people. And that's why a lot of times practices have a lot of people scheduled. And it's just folks, just like any other business, if you have any business, they have to be able to pay the the lights. They've got to pay for the computers, pay for the water and the plumbing, pay for all the staff, pay for the building, that it's still a business. And sometimes I think people forget that it is a business at the end. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think, you know, it's all those invisible middlemen that people don't see. You know, all they see is the doctor and maybe the doctor's team. And so when you're paying your insurance bill every month, you're thinking, man, I pay all this to the insurance and it's going to that it's going to that doctor and that team that I see where, you know, that's over 80 percent of that's going to administration and going to insurance and going uh, to all of the, you know, I call them invisible middlemen because mm-hmm. like we don't see them, but they are in the room and they exert so much influence o- over everything in medicine. Uh, and it's it's much nicer for me now that I am in a direct primary care model, but I was six years in fee for service and, mm-hmm. and dealing with all of that. And our patients never really understood that um, that their insurance wasn't paying us because they're like, well, I paid, I paid this much every month for insurance. I'm like, I understand 
mm-hmm. but you know that's you know part of the insurance company they you know they make a lot of interest on the money that patients pay them that they hold on to and then they don't you know pay providers uh, so there is a a huge interest to kind of maintain that uh, and it's very frustrating um, when you're in practice well it is because I think a lot of times you're you're working hard because you want to give people the best care but you also need to pay your bills right and I realize we we keep mentioning direct primary care can you describe to the people what direct primary care if they haven't had the pleasure to um, come across it Absolutely. So uh, direct primary care, it's a membership-based model, and it's a direct relationship between the doctor and the patient. So patients get things like same or next day appointments, longer time with a doctor, virtual visits, and rather than going through insurance, they're paying a flat monthly fee every every month usually, uh, kind of like a gym membership. So it's like you, if, you're, if you're a member of a gym, you, you have your membership, you can go in, you can use all of the equipment that's in there. If you want to take a special class, there may be a little bit of a, you know, of a, of a charge for that. Um, but really, because you're a member, you get to go there. And so my practice is very similar. All of our patients now are members, they pay a flat monthly rate every month, they can come in if they need to get their urine checked for urinary tract infection, if they need an EKG, if they need to get their labs drawn, if they've got a cold, well, woman check, you know, kind of all the things that you would, would get, they get to, you know, have it, these, uh, these visits through their membership and they're all covered. So they always know exactly what it's going to be. There's never any surprises. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back in a few moments with more with the phenomenal Dr. Delicia. Better with Dr. Erica. Welcome to Get Your Better On. One of the things I have started doing lately to get my better on is sometimes in the middle of the workday, it gets so busy that it's easy to start feeling anxious or on edge. And when I find myself starting to feel a little bit unsettled, I actually take my shoes off and put my feet directly on the ground. So I actually ground while I'm working. And it's even better when I'm at a standing desk and there's something calming about being connected to the earth. Grounding can also be part of mindfulness. But I encourage you to try it out because it can decrease your anxiety. It can lift your mood. It can help you feel less scattered having more mental clarity. It's a very simple way to just feel more settled and more peaceful and open up that capacity so that you can have the clarity to not only enjoy the moment you're in, but to also get done what you need to get done so you can get to having fun and resting. So I just wanted to share one of the things I do to get my better on. Now back to the show. Better with Dr. Erica. Better with Dr. Erica. Well, I I love it. And I know you'd mentioned that you felt like at one point you built your own prison prison and then you shifted to this model. How do you think shifting to direct primary care improved your quality of life? Uh, in so many ways. So first, I went into medicine because I really love taking care of patients. I love the relationships that you get to build with people over time and getting to know them and getting to know their stories. And I felt in my previous practice, I wasn't able to do that to the extent that I really wanted to. Uh, so part of it was the, the style of medicine that I really enjoy doing. And then the other part was, is more personal uh, that, you know, I knew what I needed to, I, I have a history of depression when I was in, um, when I was in gosh, high school. And then again, in medical school. And so I, I developed all these things that I do to maintain my mental health, but I didn't have time to do them. And because my practice had kind of encroached on mm. everything else. And so really it was having the time to get back into all of the things that I enjoy doing that kind of fill my cup uh, so that I can, again, serve from my overflow and not from an empty cup. Uh, So I actually, by switching to direct primary care, I was able to give the care that I want to other people and give the care to myself that I really needed. And I I love that. And I feel like that's, I don't know why I don't like this term, but it really fits sometimes. And as I've said before, there's certain vernacular that sounds horrible when I say it, but that was a word. (laughs) It was because I I feel like there's a challenge and it's not a challenge that only physicians or people in healthcare face, which is it's this challenge of balancing 
how to show up at work, how to how to help others, how to be good at what you do and still take care of yourself at the same time. And I feel like a lot of, a lot of different types of work, not just us, but, you know, I even know people that do hands-on labor. That is just the culture in general of this country is one of work, 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 work. And it's, it's not one that prioritizes taking care of yourself at all. And I know for many of you out there that you don't have to be a doctor to have experienced that time where you are spending a lot of your mental capacity and emotional capacity and your time on doing good work or being productive and using up so much capacity that was just very difficult to actually take care of yourself because most of your capacity went to whatever work was or school, your profession. And then there was just this itty bitty tiny space for you. Right. And I think, and you touched on something there when you said it's a word because so many of us, what we do is a calling. And so it's, you know, it's kind of this, this higher calling, this higher power. And so you feel like you can't walk away from it because it's part of what you were here to do, but sometimes you can change how you do it, you know, how you provide that service. And, and so that was when I was introduced to direct primary care, I realized that I could still fulfill this being a physician, which is my calling and, but do it in a way that wasn't depleting me. Uh, And I think that goes, I I was talking to a a lady who her calling was actually the mortuary services. And Mm -hmm. I was like, thank God that you were called to that because I wasn't. Uh, And she really just walks patient people through the darkest times of their life um, with the amount of care that is, uh, you know, amazing. Um, And then she was a small business owner as well. And seeing her trying to balance family and work, especially because the work that she does, she's considering, you know, considers her calling. And so, um, how we kind of still honor our calling, but still honor our lives as well. That's just such a beautiful way of putting it because I think for a lot of people, they have a calling and some people's calling seems more related to their profession. Some maybe feel that their calling is related to volunteerism and others may feel like their their calling is actually to their family, re- rearing their children or something like that. But I think the huge thing, and that's one of the reasons we had this podcast, is it's helping to put you back in your life so that you start learning how to shift to show up for yourself and showing up for yourself then allows you to serve all of these other people that you want to serve. Whereas if you just serve, as you were talking about, you just end up, you just end up sucked dry and whether or not for someone that ends up looking like burnout, whether it looks like depression, whether it looks like just physical exhaustion and physical illness. It can look a wide variety of ways, but it's so important to find ways to take care of yourself in the middle of those that service and that calling, because I, I think it's huge. It what you said just makes so much sense, which is no one, no one wants your calling to hurt yourself. And, and for a lot of people, you give so much with your calling that it unintentionally hurts yourself. Cause you may not be trying to hurt yourself. It's just, if you think of how many times you've, picked up weight because you were working late hours or you were tired or you stopped working out because you needed to take care of people and do things, or you started drinking a little bit more because you needed wine or something to help get you to sleep, or you even did a Shikari Richardson and something bad happened. You didn't have a skill to cope and you started smoking weed because weed ain't legal everywhere and we know everybody's weed ain't loyal there is, we don't even get me started on all of the things that sometimes appear in the weed. Right. But it's, it's just, I'm so appreciative that there's someone like you 
out here to advocate for how to actually deal with when you're dealing with that competition of your calling and taking care of yourself. That That is just huge. And I know you mentioned having dealt with depression for a while. Did that have anything to do with, with you starting White Coast Space? And if so, can you tell the people about it? Oh, absolutely. Um, it was, you know, I think I, I think a lot of what I do is creating what I wish I had. So, mm-hmm. um, and uh, so I was uh, the, the, I was suicidal when I was in high school. I did well in, in my college days. I was a Division One athlete. So I had a lot of, I had great relationships with my teammates, mm-hmm. my sorority sisters. I was really physically active. And then I went from that to sitting on my butt studying eight hours a day in, in med school. And my second year of med, med school had a recurrence of depression, actually had to take time off uh, to be treated. Best decision I've made in my career uh, was mm-hmm. to take that time off. And and now I sometimes I have to you know tell my patients like it's important to take some time off. And then this is this is one of those moments. And, uh, you know, I started my practice and transitioned to primary care. And that's where I created the space to, to pursue some of my other passions. And one of those being mental health. Uh, both in in writing the book, which is largely you know my my, my life story intermixed with all of the statistics, um, and then also creating white coat safe space, which is what I think most people in the health professions need because we have to always show up as strong and as the healers, but the healers need to be healed too, mm-hmm. and so making sure that we're creating a space where we don't have to always be a superhero that we can take take off the capes. And, you know, if they've got holes in them, we got to, you know, patch them up. We got to take time to really heal heal ourselves. And we all need to have a safe space to do that in. And I totally love, I feel like there are times you, you run across something and it seems like the name just feels perfect. And I, I love that you came up with the name White Coat Safe Space because one of the difficult things and one of the, I feel like it's like one of the dirty secrets of the healthcare system is that even though it's a system that is supposed to be designed to heal people, is that it's oftentimes there are times where it doesn't feel safe for everyone involved, be it issues of healthcare disparities and people, there's a lack of safety because of um, people's bias or how they deal with things, or just it's, it's not necessarily safe because the way the system is set up doesn't really take into account that people are actually human beings. Now, I do want to take a quick moment. She mentioned this book, but didn't say the title. And the mm-hmm. title is super cool. The Dawn, a med student's roadmap to finding a light in their darkest hour. I mean, that that sounds like a novel. I mean, I feel like I need to I need to just literally have some some candles, a little a little reading light, a cup of tea and read it. And and one of the things I love about this book and quite a few things is that there are things in the journey of becoming a doctor and being a doctor that translate so well to other people. It's it's couched in our stories, <laughs> but it's it means something and can really impact other people because a lot of the skills that we all need to survive med school and the system of being a doctor are skills other people need just in their life or in their respective professions. Yeah. And, and those things, they really are very universal. We forget that doctors are people too. And we as physicians forget that we're people too. <laughs> you know, we treat ourselves very poorly. And I was so, I was shocked when I, I was researching for a Grand Rounds presentation, which is like this big presentation that we sometimes have to give. And I chose the topic of suicide and depression amongst physicians and it was the first time that I realized that I wasn't alone because I, mm-hmm. up to that point, I thought I was the weak link, that I was the only person who ever had to take time off to be treated for depression in med school, that I was the only person that, you know, even suffered from depression. And when I did, you know, the research for that presentation and saw, you know, I, I didn't know then that we lose over 400 uh, physicians to suicide every year. 
or that you know over thirty percent um, of students are are suffering from depression. Yeah. And had I known that coming in, and had my support team known that coming in, we would have been in such a better position uh, to support. Um, and so that was you know, one of the initiatives that we're doing right now is is about really getting the book into the hands of medical students and their families so that they have this knowledge before they go in, because I think feeling that you're alone is in, in, a, in what is already an isolating experience makes it so much worse. Mm-hmm. I can believe it. And I just really, I really appreciate the fact that you are, are so giving and so transparent about this, because I think one of, one of the beautiful things in the middle of your story is number one, that you got to a place where you were comfortable enough to ask for help. Number two, as you continued to go along your journey, you were able to figure out how do I set my life up so that I can still do these things that I really want to do professionally, but I take care of myself personally so that I can be healthy. And and the last one I think is just that space of being open to talk about these things so that people can see that there are plenty of people that number one, you can have a mental health challenge and still be a great person. That has nothing to do with the quality of human being you are. Number two, that you can have a mental health challenge and that doesn't have to define you. That's not your only identity. It may be something you are struggling with or dealing with, but that's not actually who you are. And the number three is that you can be in a place at some time where you even have thoughts of suicide and those types of things and still make a great life that it doesn't mean that that's the predictor of how you, the entire rest of your life story will be. And I think that's a lot of the power in your narrative is that it's part of your story, but it's not the story. And it's also not the end to your story. Right. And I think that was why, and and I have to say that when I really decided to write it was after I lost someone to suicide that I really cared about one of my best friends. And we lost a second year medical student at the Mm -hmm. school and faculty because before that being, you know, having my own business and kind of worried about my image and, you know, do I want to become known as a depressed doctor before I've had a chance to really set up my reputation, it was, you know, I thought of my story as mine. And after losing my friend, and you know, we always talked about, he was, he was amazing. Um, mm. He was a lawyer. He was just oh. this amazing mind. And we never had that conversation. You know, he was always looking out for me. He did background checks on my employees for fun. I mean, he was just always like that big brother. Mm-hmm. And uh, we just never, you know, we always talked about what our next was going to be. And we never talked about those valley moments. Uh, and so it's it's really just wanting to make sure that all of my friends know that, yes, uh, you may see, you know, the MD, the, the CEO, the, you know, all of the labels, uh, but understand the context and, you know, the entire person um, because we all have valley moments and we have those peak of the mountain moments and that's part of our entire journey. And when, when people only see your peaks, uh, it, it, you're actually robbing them of the full experience of you. Uh, so going forth, this is really kind of a pay it for you. I, I, I'm not, I won't, I'm not like haunted by him, but I see him sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I see that he's the most piercing eyes and I know that he would be proud of the work that I'm doing. And, mm-hmm. um, and also it's, it's what I know I was meant to do uh, as well. Um, so really, I think we sometimes get afraid of being vulnerable, but our vulnerability in many places protects us because you actually get to shape the narrative rather than somebody else telling it. Well, and the, the beautiful thing of, about this is that if you change just one life and just one person seeks help or is able to somehow in the middle of the darkness realize that the world is better with them in it or that their life is worth living, then the the beauty of this type of work is every single life you touch matters. And just touching one life 
is huge and and what the work that you're doing being open to being vulnerable and shifting that purpose into action is that it gives you the capacity to step in and literally almost virtually intervene in, in people's lives in a way that can can totally change their course which is so so powerful and and I feel like part of what you were speaking about also about showing being vulnerable enough to show peaks and valleys is I think it's one of the reasons why we're also seeing more mood disorders and either aggression or internal aggression, such as um, self-injurious behavior or suicide attempts with social media, because social media often is literally, you just literally define what most of it is. Most of it is people showing either, as you would call it, their peaks or manufacturing Mm -hmm. (laughs) something, something that's not even realistically going on in their life. Um, so I just want to say thank you for being willing to step out of your own comfort zone. Cause it would be super comfortable to just be quiet about this little corner of your life mm-hmm. and being willing to step out and actually talk about it. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's my pleasure. And, and it's, it's also a, a, a internal fight sometimes that I, I still to this day will have on occasion. And I have to remind myself that my story is not mine. Uh, so, um, it's, you know, I, you know, I am on social media for business purposes and I, you know, and just for expression purposes, but you're right. It's such a, you know, it's hard not to go into comparison Mm -hmm. and you're comparing yourself to someone's highly filtered, highly cultivated, (laughs) curated, you know, version Mm -hmm. of, uh, you know, of their life where they're on vacation every single day and they have this perfect, you know, balance, um, so I really, you know, I try to limit my time when I'm actually on social media uh, because it can be very deleterious to your mental health. Mm. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back in a few moments with more with the phenomenal Dr. Delicia. Welcome to the better tip of the week. You know how every day it seems like you're rushing in the morning? Well, one of the ways to get rid of that is to start decreasing all of those millions of things that you have to do before you head out. One of the things I do to help is... I make my lunch the day before. I make my lunch so that I usually have more healthy choices and it also gets rid of all that ripping and running, trying to grab lunch. And when I make it the night before, that is one less thing to do in the morning. So I encourage you, try it out. Try to make your lunch the night before. Back to the show. Now, I want to circle back to something you mentioned because I know you mentioned that Um, You mentioned some strategies and some habits and ways that you set your life up that are protective of your mental health or or help you have better mental health. Can you share with our listeners what some of those are? There's there's a lot. (laughs) Um, And I would say and that's a good thing. Um, It's really important that you come up with your your things that fill your cup up when you're not in a crisis so that when you are in a crisis, you kind of already have those relationships or, you know, whatever those experiences need to be, they're ready to go. Um, most importantly is relationships. Uh, so, mm-hmm. you know, no man is an island and definitely women aren't. Uh, so making sure that you are nourishing the relationships that are most meaningfully meaningful to you uh, so I, and then that's one of the reasons that I had to create a planner uh, because I was seeing that I'm doing all these passion projects and they were starting to kind of angle out mm. some really important time that, that I would connect with friends and connect with family. And those things are actually more important. Like I know that at the end of whenever the end of my life comes uh, that, yes, I'll be proud of the businesses that I created and the, you know, the movements and initiatives that I started. But most importantly, it's going to be my friends and my family. Uh, so making sure that I am creating and, and saving space for them every single day. Um, so really, you know, cultivating your time. And, you know, if it's not on your planner, it's just kind of like a wish list. And wishing is not a strategy. Um, so 
things like going for my daily sunset walk is on my calendar and it happens every now and then I'll do it and I'll be talking to a patient or I'll be, you know, kind of multitasking, but I'm still getting it in. Um, and so making sure that the things that you, the things that fill you up with, and that's where it's kind of personal as far as like, what does it for you? I used to row with the rowing association. I loved being on the water. I loved that kind of meditative flow. And mm-hmm. um, I don't do that as much, but you know, I actually had space and time that was dedicated to that. And I had a patient who gave me a waterproof folder for my phone so that they could contact me. And I was like, well, thank you. I can use this to take pictures. I'm not talking to you. <laughs> this is my time. <laughs> um, and, and really, you know, boundaries, like you treat, you teach people how to treat you. And especially when you're an em- empathetic, uh, empathetic, compassionate person, it's easy to just let people kind of like run over your boundaries, but it's really important that you maintain them and that you're always teaching people how to treat you. And in doing so, you're actually giving them permission to do the same. And usually people who are running over your boundaries have their own boundary issues. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it can be really empowering. I know it was for some of my patients who were the highest offenders, was kind of teaching them like, okay, and you you may want to consider instituting something like this in your own life as well. Uh, So the relationships that, you know, the, really the time is, it was more important to me than kind of the to-do list. Um, You uh, introduced me to savers. (laughs) So, um, you know, my, so I've incorporated that in and again, it takes time. So you have to kind of make sure that you've got got that um, in your day. So because all really making space, I think, is the is the operative word. Well, I, I love all of that. And interesting enough, I was um, on a, a panel for Usher New Looks event Disruptivate. And really, a lot of this came up as far as ways to have coping skills or strategies or lifestyle habits. And you said a few things that I said yesterday that I think are huge, which is a lot of this all has to do with intentionality and being mm-hmm. intentional. And as you're talking about relationships, it's being intentional about relationships and intentional about the time it takes to manage And to nurture those relationships, because I think that's the other thing that happens for a lot of you out there, because a lot of you are are, are busy people, that it's really easy to get so caught up with life that you don't actually nurture your relationships. And as Dr. Delicia was talking about is you're you're nurturing the relationships, you're identifying who your go to's are so that when something comes up and you need support. Number one, you've already identified who you're going to utilize, but you've also nurtured the relationship so that they understand how to support you and will be there for you because the relationship has already been built. And the thing I would add on that is especially when you get to the point where you have to start taking those withdrawals Mm because it's almost like a situation where you nurture the relationship and that's deposits. Then at periods of times you have to take withdrawals. And when it's time to take a withdrawal or you need something and you need support, because one of those those seven of the better seven is support is being able to ask for what you need and tell someone what you actually need. You know, if it's someone that you just want to talk to and you're like, hey, I just need you to listen to me for a little while. You know, you may need someone to help you problem solve something. Listening and problem solving are not the same. I know a lot of you out there, I learned it with my mom. I had to tell her when when I wanted to listen and when I want her to give me an answer. They are not the same. Uh, but to be able to ask for, for what you need and then also the importance of structure and scheduling. Um, and as Dr. Delicia talked about, it's when you're setting up the structure and setting up the scheduling, the important thing about it is to put the things you need into the schedule, not just work. Because so often we have these schedules and these planners, and I can't wait to see Dr. Delicia's planner. You have these planners and you put in, it's work, 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 work. And maybe your volunteer or your organizations, like, uh, you know, I have some friends that are still extremely active in their sororities and they have a million sorority activities. And then you can look up, you have this full schedule and none of it is you. 
So just like I need you to put you in your life, I need to put you in your own schedule. Right. Um, and, and that way you do those things that are going to fill your cup and take care of yourself, be it exercise or I, I love Dr. Delicia's evening walks or, you know, making sure you have time to actually grocery shop or do your Instacart list so that you have healthy food options out there, time to call and connect with people, but just making sure that you're intentional about it. Amen. Uh, you, know, <laughs> you set me up. You set it up. So I just had to. I just had to come behind you after you set it up. Um, so I want to switch gears briefly and and talk to you a little bit. I have some speed round questions. Are you ready? Sure. All right. Okay, I'm ready. Um, and I'm, none of these are designed to be tear jerkers. They are standards. So I'm going to warn you. Okay. What is the best lesson from your mom? Mm, um, so my dear mommy in heaven, she... Um, would say if you're gonna if you're gonna look at it every day, make sure you get what you want. Oh. Yes, I think that needs to be on a vision board or something. <laughs> at, at the time, I was buying a sofa, but it it, it has so many different uh, applications. As I sit here and look at my sofa <laughs> that I love dearly. Oh, I I love that. May your mom rest in heaven. Mm-hmm. Um, the next one is, what is one piece of advice that you'd give your younger self? Be kind to yourself. Oh, I love it. I totally love that. What is your favorite gift to yourself? Mm, my evening walk. Oh, I love it. And I've I've had the joy of being able to see her um, holding her little phone with the camera on her. <laughs> Walk. It looks glorious. I'm looking forward to as the world opens up to be able to come down and visit you and go on your evening walk with you. Oh, absolutely. Because it, it does look glorious. Um, now you have a day off. What are you looking forward to doing? Eating with my family. Oh, I love it. Do you all have any like favorite family meals or is it just anything? It is. Well, okay. So some of the greatest cooks in our family have passed. So we are working on the dishes um, but it's definitely the quality time that is is number one right now. Oh, I love it. I totally love it. And what is one thing you do when someone either disrespects you or underestimates you? So I allow silence to be powerful. Mm. So I usually just say that's not acceptable. And that's all I say. Oh. Oh, that's like one of those when instead of getting on punishment or getting a a spanking back in the day, someone's parents said, I'm disappointed in you. Yep. Mm -hmm. I love it. I love it. It it is so aligned with your personality. (laughs) I'm I'm not going to scream at you. It's just just not acceptable. It it is so aligned. If people could only learn that on Twitter. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. The last one is, what is your superpower? Mm. Encouraging people. Oh, I love it. So thank you so much for all of that. I mean, you rocked the speed round questions. (laughs) You just totally rocked them. Um, Do you have any final takeaways or thoughts you'd like to leave for the audience? You know, I think the most important thing is uh, that we, we have to really get back to building great relationships. Uh, I think definitely going through this time of isolation, the value of relationships, um, really for mental health is, is, is why I'm saying it, is that we really need to, to really cultivate and grow and nourish uh, the relationships that really matter to us. So the most important relationship that you're going to have is the person that's going to be around your entire life, which is you. Uh, so taking some time to nourish, and I'm talking to myself right now, <laughs> to to appreciate and nourish and cultivate uh, him or her, and then also all the people around you. Oh, yeah. Y'all, if, if I really wish you could see, 
I literally just, I just want to give Dr. Delicia a big hug. And um, this is, I guess, the downside of not taping in person. If we were together, we're all vaccinated. I give her a hug, but uh, we are vaccinated in different cities. So it doesn't, I can't, can't hug her, even though I, I wish I hug, could hug her right now. Um, my first final thought and takeaway is number one, just thank you so much for blessing us with your time your knowledge and your heart. I could really feel it. And I know all of you out there could feel it too. My final thought is along the same line, which is as we are human beings and connection is so important as Dr. Delicia noted about the importance of connection that we have seen during this pandemic is one of the keys to these connections beyond just nurturing them is working on communication. And I want to encourage all of you out there to actually communicate with people because it's very easy at times, especially pre COVID you have all these people you spend time with and then you can look up and realize you never had a real conversation about anything important. So I want to encourage you with the people in your life to actually have real conversations. It's okay if you want to have moments and you're talking about what's going on with TV, the Olympics, the newest Drake song, a new car coming out, what's going on with these festivals, what's going on with COVID, are you vaccinated? It's okay to have all those conversations (laughs) But I want to encourage you to continue to have real conversations with people in your life, talking about dreams, values, feelings, emotions, goals, relationships. I want you to actually have real conversation and real communication. I'm also still a fan of snail mail. But I want to encourage you to have quality connections and quality relationships because a lot of times, especially in times of need where you actually need support or need your cup filled, that you need quality relationships and active communication and good communication and communication that is not just superficial is what helps nurture those relationships so that you actually have quality relationships, not just quantity. Because I know a lot of you out there, you may have 500, 7,000, 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000, 5,000 friends on Facebook, Twitter, IG, maybe even more. But then if you sit and think about how many of these people would I call if I was having a rough day? Who, would, who even calls me to ask me how I am doing? You start seeing that you can know thousands of people and still feel lonely. So I want to encourage you to actually actively work on these relationships. I feel like I hopped on a soapbox on my final thought or takeaway. Um, the next thing is, Dr. Delicia, where can the people find you? Absolutely. So you can find me across social media, even though I said I don't go on there. Uh, But I am. (laughs) It's Dr. Delicia MD. That's D-R-D-E-L-I-C-I-A-M-D. And then the work that I'm doing with White Coat Safe Space is whitecoatsafespace.com. And that's where you'll be able to find even the journal when it comes out. That is excellent. And if you are in your car, or you don't have a pin handy, maybe that's dating myself talking about pins, or if you're out on a lovely walk like Dr. Delicia does in the evenings, it's all good because all of her contact information will be in the podcast description, so you'll still be able to find it. I want to first say thank you to all of you for trusting us enough to have myself and Dr. Delicia all up in your ears. So thank you so much for making time out of your busy life for us. It means a lot. The next thing is, as you know, these these episodes drop weekly. They come out on Tuesdays. So I would love for you to follow or subscribe. That way you get to know when all the newest stuff with Better with Dr. Erica comes out. And the next thing is also if you use like Apple Podcasts or Audible, if you could stick a rating and a review in there, I would really love it. It helps us actually show that we're able to 
help people or people are enjoying the podcast, which helps me get even better content for you. So if you could do that for me. The next thing is, is I want you to give yourself a huge hug. We're not all touching that much these days, even though people are touching more and you know, we're, uh, COVID is all over. It's, it's a mess. We have, we're, we could have a whole segment discussing the lovely world of the Delta variant and how all of the feelings of people started having that COVID was going away <laughs> are getting totally interrupted. Uh, but I want you to give yourself a big hug because you deserve it. And that's what I have for you this time. Until next time, have a better day. To stay in touch with all things Better with Dr. Erica, you can go to betterthepodcast.com and you can also follow us on social media at Dr. Erica, D-O-C-T-O-R-E-R-I-C-K-A. That's D-O-C-T-O-R-E-R-I-C-K-A. My parents used all the letters on all social media. I look forward to hearing from you. Better with Dr. Erica. If you enjoy podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Hopeful Hints, hosted by Dr. Tara, guides and supports those on the often challenging and isolating journey of women's health concerns and infertility. There's a particularly powerful episode that you should check out called All Things Endometriosis, which dives deep into understanding the condition to help the many women who suffer from endometriosis and have no idea they have it, and healthcare providers who are uneducated about it, making the diagnosis process so difficult. Check out Hopeful Hints on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com.